Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. Harvest Lakeshore is a redeemed family who loves God and loves others. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Again, I invite you, if you haven't already, to open your Bibles to Psalm 90. Uh, if you're at home watching, I invite you to open your Bibles as well. Uh, it is certainly good to have all of you here today, uh, be it in person or at home, and uh, look forward to uh, opening our Bibles today and uh, studying God's Word together. I thought it'd be good to um, just kind of start off with something to kind of catch our attention, to get us thinking, and so let's kind of begin this way. Uh, sometimes it's simply because we're overextended, uh, maybe a little overextended physically, uh, maybe a little overextended academically, maybe a little overextended um, vocationally or relationally. Other times it's because we're just kind of overwhelmed, overwhelmed, um, uh, just um, mentally overwhelmed, emotionally overwhelmed. Maybe it's due to commitments or demands or questions that fill our lives. But whatever the combination, uh, be it physical, uh, be it uh, mental, emotional, relational, academic, whatever, the result is often confusion. It's often confusion. Now think with me this morning, if you had to narrow it down to one area of your life where you feel most confused, what would that area be? I mean, just think about that for a moment. I mean, what area of your life seems to be dominated by feelings of uncertainty or maybe feelings of um, hesitancy, maybe feelings of indecision, where could you use a wise counselor to help you sort things out, to help you wrestle through the confusion, the uncertainty, the hesitancy, the indecision? Well, at the age of 80, Moses was called to lead the nation of Israel. And during the next 40 years, he faced times of what I think we would honestly say overwhelming confusion, probably sometimes paralyzing doubt as the people of God that he was called to lead often refused to follow his leadership, often refused to follow God's leadership. He experienced times of overextension and times of exhaustion. His people would come to him. They'd come to him from morning until evening, wanting his opinion, wanting his attention, demanding his personal attention. Moses led the people of Israel as God literally eliminated one generation and then prepared the next generation. And as you can well imagine, through all of those ups and downs and all of those experiences, Moses gained a lot of wisdom. He learned a lot about life. And eventually, God had Moses write down the highlights of what he had learned during that 40-year journey with God's people. And that's what we find in Psalm 90. You may notice in your Bible that this psalm is simply titled, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. I think perhaps we could even retitle that to something like the lessons learned by Moses as he sought to lead the people of God, because I think that's a lot of what we have here in this text. And so this morning, we want to look at Psalm 90, and as we study this passage today, we're going to draw out from it some foundational realities that we want to then in turn or kind of turn into diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves and as we discover these foundational realities, and as we apply these questions to our lives, my prayer is that God will increase or decrease the confusion 
and increase the clarity in our lives. So let's just pray together before we get into God's Word. Father God, we thank you today for this prayer of Moses. We thank you, Lord, that in your infinite wisdom, you chose to record uh, the things that were heavy on the heart of Moses, that were ever-present on his heart and on his mind, things that he, he had come to learn about you, things that he had come to learn about life. And Father, as we look at those things today, as we open your word and study them together today, might they be something that we can take for our own lives, apply to our own hearts, apply to those areas of our life where we're just maybe a bit uncertain or maybe a bit confused. Oh, Lord, we need clarity today. We want direction for our lives, and so we ask for that today. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us your word. We thank you, Father, your Holy Spirit who, who opens our hearts and our minds to both understand your word and be able to apply it to our lives and empowers us to live it out. So we give you all the glory today, Lord, all the credit, because you deserve every bit of it. In Christ's name, amen. Now, as I said a moment ago, this morning, what we want to do as we look at Psalm 90 is we want to draw out from this text some foundational realities from the things that Moses shares with us. And then as we look at those foundational realities, we want to sort of morph them into questions, questions that we can ask ourselves so that we can do a little self-diagnostic work to see where we might need some clarity in our life where we're experiencing some confusion. So let's begin by looking at those foundational realities. Here's the first one we're going to draw from the text, and it is simply this, reality number one, God is great. God is great. Look at verse one. Moses prays, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So Moses kind of calls us in the midst of a very complex world to stop and remember first and foremost who God is. That's where he wants to center our attention, on who God is. And you notice as he begins his prayer, the first word out of his mouth is the word Lord. That's a translation of the Hebrew word, the Hebrew title for God, Adonai. And typically when the title Adonai is given to God, it's in reference to God as creator or as ruler or as owner or sovereign overall. And then he speaks of God as our dwelling place. In other words, he is the one in whom we find refuge. He is the one we are to run to. He is our place of safety. He's our place of shelter. So who is God? Well, he's not only the transcendent Adonai, ruler, creator, sovereign over all, but he's also the very imminent. He's also the very personal, our dwelling place. And Moses tells us that he is all this in all generations not just generations past, not even just generations present, but in all generations. He writes from everlasting to everlasting. From eternity past to eternity future, you are God. And the personal pronoun that he uses there is a singular personal pronoun. So he's basically saying, you alone, you all by yourself, you stand alone as God. You alone are God, the one and only God. So the first foundational truth that we need to be clear on is who God is, who God is. In these two verses, Moses gives us an accurate view of God. Now, he doesn't give us a complete view of God. There are other qualities and characteristics of God that Moses doesn't speak of here, 
but the ones that he does give us here give us an accurate view of God. He tells us that God is creator, ruler, owner over all that he has made, that he is to be recognized as the sovereign director and leader and ruler over our lives. He is eternal, superior to all others, and he is our caring, personal protector, refuge, place of safety, and shelter. And that's so important because typically when we think of somebody being in charge or somebody being an authority figure, we sometimes picture that in terms of sort of, sort of bringing the hammer down and maybe bringing it in a very authoritative and kind of dictatorial kind of way. But that's not God. That's not who God is. No, our Adonai is our, our dwelling place. Our Adonai, when he reaches out to us with his authority and his rulership, reaches out with compassion, with caring, with personal protection, our refuge, our place of safety, and our shelter. So that brings us to a very important question, and the question is this. Am I rightly relating to God? Not just my idea of God or somebody else's idea of God, but to the real one-of-a-kind God that Moses speaks of here in these opening two verses. The question is, does God hold the same place in my life that he holds over the universe? Over the universe, he's ruler. Over the universe, he's sovereign. Over the universe, he's creator and owner. So does he hold that same place in my life that he holds over the universe? And if the answer is no, then it may well explain why I'm experiencing confusion. Because if I'm choosing to live each day under my own autonomy, under my own self-rule, rather than living under his authority, then that can cause all kinds of confusion. But when we're rightly related to God, he, he supplies perspective. He supplies direction. He supplies security. He supplies hope. He brings clarity to my life. So when I put him in his rightful place in my life, then in some of those areas of my life where I'm uncertain and confused, where there's chaos and all that kind of stuff, when I put him in the rightful place in my life, he brings clarity. So the question, the question is, am I rightly relating to God? Am I rightly relating to the God who is, not to just my definition, my own personal definition or personal feelings about God? So the first reality that we draw from this text is that God is great. Here's the second one. The second one is that life is short. This is the second reality that we draw from the text. He writes in verse 3, or he goes on to pray, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. And by the way, a watch was just a, a three-hour period of time. So to God, a thousand years is like a three-hour period of time. He says, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. They are like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening, it fades and withers. I mean, just think about this with me for a moment. Moses led nearly 2 million people out of Egyptian slavery. I mean, that's a, that is a ginormous responsibility. Not only led them out of Egyptian slavery, but he led them across the Red Sea on dry ground. He led them through the Sinai Peninsula to the, the, the foothill of the Sinai Mountains, and there they spent a year entering into this covenantal agreement with God. And then after not going into the promised land, they spent another 40 years just basically wandering around in the Sinai Desert and all of that. And we know that half of the population died during those 40 years. 
a million people died. Just think about that. That's 25,000 people a year. That's 70 funerals a day. So it's no wonder that Moses wrote what he did about life being short and life being brief and all of that. It's no wonder he said what he said in these verses, that a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night, you sweep them away with a flood. They are like a dream. They're like the grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening, it fades and it withers. So here's a very important reality. And I want to say this very cautiously because I recognize that I don't know everybody's circumstances here this morning. And you may have come here this morning with, with a very serious illness, a very serious disease. So I want to say this cautiously, but I want to say this honestly. There is this really important reality, and the reality is this. We're all terminal. We're all terminal. The only question is when. When? Deep in our hearts, we say, I've got all kinds of time to deal with the weightier issues of life. We say to ourselves, I'll deal with those weightier issues of life down the road. Those foundational issues, I'll just wrestle with them later. It seems like procrastination is the sort of the mentality of the day because the tyranny of the urgent really shapes our lives. But the truth is, outside of today, we're only certain of one other day. And that only other day that we're certain of is that day when we cross over from time into eternity. And yet, for the most part, many of us don't live with that one day in mind. We don't live in light of the only day that we are guaranteed. So here's the diagnostic question. Am I ready for the only day I'm guaranteed? Am I ready for that day? Am I living in light of a readiness for that day? I mean, if we knew for certainty that exactly one week from today, November 20th, 2022, at 10.36 a.m., if we knew that exactly one week from this moment our heart was going to stop, would we live this next week any different than we lived last week? I think we probably would. But the problem is this. We don't even know that we have those seven days. We're not even sure that we have those seven days. And so, therefore, remembering that our time is short, that moves us from a life characterized by procrastination to a life that is characterized by priorities. Much of our confusion in life kind of flows from that nagging sense of guilt that accompanies a life that is filled with the urgent and the imminent rather than what is truly important. So if we would honestly live differently in the next week, if we knew it was our last week, then let's start living with that kind of clarity today. Let's not just think about it. Let's do something about it. Let's change the way we live our life this week. Because the fact of the matter is, life is short. It's just like a breath. It's here today and gone tomorrow like the grass. I don't know about you, but on, on Thursday, I mowed my lawn, and this morning, I shoveled six inches of snow off my front walk. Things change in a hurry around here. And that's the way life is, right? It's uncertain. It's short. So am I ready for the only day I'm guaranteed of, and am I living that way? Because in living that way, it helps to clear up a lot of the chaos and bring a lot of, a lot of, a lot of clarity to my life. Here's the third reality that we draw from the text, and that is that sin is serious. Sin is serious. Moses now kind of explains to us why life is short. 
He writes in verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end. You bring our, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Folks, we need to understand, we need to realize that God designed us. He created us in his image with the purpose of having uh, an everlasting, a forever relationship with him, a relationship of, of creature to creator, of servant to sovereign forever. But the problem is there was a coup on the planet, a rebellion. Adam and Eve reasoned that they knew better. They, choose to, they chose to exercise their own self-rule rather than listen to God's rule over their life. They rebelled against their good and holy creator. They rebelled against the Lord of the universe. And their rebellion, their disobedience, their usurping of his rightful place as king over their lives, that created a chasm, a chasm between a holy and sovereign God and his now sinful and fallen creatures. Since sin entered the world, our relationship with God is no longer right. Our sin has separated us from our holy creator. Our sovereign ruler, God, now has, as Moses describes it, a very just wrath and just anger toward our sin, toward our coup, toward our rebellion. And his anger must be appeased. It must be satisfied. The biblical word is it must be propitiated. That's what needs to happen. So sin is serious. And the question is this, do I take my sin seriously? Do I take my sin seriously? Or do I tend to describe my sins with terms like, well, I think I made a little mistake. I think there were a few errors in judgment. Maybe there was a bit of a slip up. Maybe, uh, maybe I just didn't get it quite right. I mean, have I got the idea, have we got the idea that, that God is just some kind of meek and mild-mannered grandfatherly figure who sort of sits in a wheelchair on the, the porch of heaven with a blanket over his legs, kind of thinking, nobody's perfect and that's okay. Well, folks, if we think that, that's wrong. That's not God's take on our sin. The Bible teaches us that sin is so serious and God's character is so set apart that it requires that the sins we commit be punished. And that punishment is death. That punishment is eternal, full, and complete separation from him. So we need to ask ourselves, God, or we need to ask God, show me the sinful ways in me. Show me the pride in me. Show me the selfishness in me. Show me the bitterness and resent me. Show me the impure thoughts. Show me the lying. Show me the cheating. Show me the immoral behavior. Show me the ways that I've usurped your rulership over my life and did my life my way. We need to say, God, locate the sins in me that I've been denying and covering up. And if we truly take our sins seriously, then we will run from that sin and instead, we will pursue holiness. We'll turn from the pride of self-rule to the loving, sovereign rule of God. And as we do, something very amazing happens. Life becomes clearer. It becomes less confusing. It becomes less chaotic 
Because one major reason for confusion is the issue of who's in charge of my life. And when I take charge of my own life, it tends to lead to all kinds of chaos and confusion. When I let God be sovereign over my life, it brings clarity. It brings direction into our life. So reality number three is that sin is serious. Sin is serious. Here's reality number four that we draw from the text, and that is that wisdom is essential. In other words, in light of the fact that God is great, and in light of the fact that life is short and sin is serious, then wisdom is really, really, really essential. Wisdom is really needed. So he writes in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So Moses, through all of his experiences, the 40 years that he grew up in the, the, uh, the, 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 with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter, the 40 years that he spent on the backside of the desert, to 40 years that he spent leading the people of God, during all that time, Moses became acutely aware of how hard it is to live wisely. When he talks here about numbering our days, he's not saying that I'm going to give Monday a number one and Tuesday a number two and Wednesday a number three and Thursday a number four. That's not what he's talking about. He's basically saying, I want to make each one of my days count. They need to be numbered. They need to count for something. Moses was acutely aware of how hard it is to live wisely, to live righteously in a fallen world. He realized that help is needed to use each day wisely, to make each day count, because the wise person is the one who knows how God wants them to live and desires each day to live that way, who thinks through each one of their days in terms of God being ruler, God being sovereign, God being king over our lives. The truly wise person is the one who looks at their thought life, looks at their priorities, looks at their actions and choices, their speech, their financial decisions, their educational decisions, the way they use time, family relationships, and wanting all of those things to reflect the design of God, wanting all of those things to reflect the desires of God, wanting them to reflect God's rule and reign. When we live in that way, we make our days count. And when we number our days in that way, it does give us a heart of wisdom, a heart of wisdom. So I think a question we can ask ourselves is this, am I spending my life or am I investing my life? Am I spending my days, am I counting them? Am I thinking through them soberly and thoughtfully? Am I spending my life or investing it? Do I have an awareness that life is brief? Do I want each of my days to count? Am I living in such a way that I recognize that I live under the watchful eye of a, of a holy creator, the king who is to be ruler over all my days, the one to whom I'm going to have to stand one day and give an account to him of how I've numbered and how I've counted and how I've lived out my days. So the point is, we need to live each day intentionally. We must live a life that is governed by purpose rather than passivity. If we live wisely, with clearly defined priorities that are in keeping with God's word, that are surrendered to his lordship, then we will see fruitfulness in our lives instead of fruitlessness in our lives. We'll see more clarity in our lives and a lot less confusion in our lives. So that's reality number four. Wisdom is essential. 
So again, let's think through what Moses is saying here. He starts off by reminding us that God is great. And then he reminds us that life is short. He talks about the fact that sin is serious and that wisdom is essential. Now, after coming to this point in the prayer, we might think, this is overwhelming. This is too much to think about. How can I process? How can I have any hope of all of this? And so the fifth reality we draw from the text is this, that mercy is available. Grace is available so that I can live in light of the fact that life is short, so I can live in light of the fact that my sin is serious and that wisdom is essential. I need mercy for that. I need his amazing grace for that. So look at what he writes in verse 13. He writes, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have, been, as we have seen evil. I mean, think once again, Moses lived 120 years. That's a long time. He knew as he lived those 120 years, he came to understand that we all desperately need God's mercy. We all desperately need his undeserved kindness, his undeserved goodness and grace. As he describes it here, his steadfast love, we all need that. Moses understood that what the holiness of God demanded, the love or the mercy and grace of God provided. And you and I understand that even more clearly than Moses understood it because we live in the backwash of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We understand that in Jesus Christ, the justice of God and the mercy of God meet together. The first, his justice being fully satisfied, and the other, his mercy being made fully available. So when Jesus went to the cross, all our sin was placed on him. And the just wrath of a holy God was fully absorbed, fully satisfied by him. And we can receive pardon for our sin the moment we believe, the moment we accept the free gift of mercy that God offers us through the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. Our brokenness can be transformed. Our fallenness can be transformed. We can be transformed. And his righteousness can be transferred to us no matter what we've done or no matter what we haven't done. So if you're here today and, and you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then God wants to do a work of mercy in your heart today. He wants to do a work of grace. He wants to do a work of, as Moses describes it, steadfast love in your heart today. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants to do a work of forgiveness in your life right now. He wants to give you that gift of forgiveness. He wants to give you the gift of everlasting life. You say, how? Well, you simply, we simply and quietly tell him this, God, please forgive me of my sins. Save me from your just judgment. I want to experience your mercy, withholding the punishment I deserve while receiving your grace, which gives me forgiveness, a grace that I don't deserve. I acknowledge that all this is possible only because of Jesus Christ, only because of the fact that he took my punishment when he died on the cross in my place. So I commit myself to Christ today as my savior, my rescuer, as the Lord, the leader, the director of my life. 
You see, when I come to the place where I recognize that mercy is available, that starts to get rid of a lot of the chaos and uncertainty in my life and bring a lot of clarity in my life. And if we're here today as a follower of Christ, there is still a need for amazing grace, is there not? There is still a need for for daily mercy. And we know what we need to do. We just need to have that quiet season of confession and let God's forgiveness wash over us. Let his cleansing and restoring grace pierce our minds and pierce our hearts because mercy is available. Mercy is available when I haven't lived in light of the greatness of God, when I haven't lived in light of the brevity of life, when I haven't lived in light of sin seriousness or the fact that wisdom is essential, when I haven't given myself to his rulership or lordship over my life, mercy is available. It's available if I'm not a follower of Christ. It's available if I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I think all of that brings us to another diagnostic question, and that question is this, am I experiencing the joy of the Lord? I mean, look again at what Moses writes in verse 14. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. What happens when that takes place? We may rejoice and be glad all our days. So it may not be foolproof, but this diagnostic question helps me to discern the degree to which I am walking in a right and close relationship with Christ and in the fullness of His grace and mercy. When I'm experiencing the joy of my life, I recognize I'm living in the backwash of His grace, in the flow of His mercy, in the wonder of His grace. David writes in Psalm 16 and verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So when I avail myself of His amazing grace, when I avail myself of his steadfast love, when I avail myself of his mercy, in return, I I experience joy. They go hand in hand. And with joy comes clarity, not confusion. With joy comes hope. With joy comes just the reality that God is faithful, that God is trustworthy. So God is great. Life is short. Sin is serious. Wisdom is essential. Mercy is available. And following all these foundational realities and declarations by Moses, he closes with this final assurance, and it is this, clarity is possible. Clarity is possible. Look at what he writes in verse 16. He says, God, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So I think this is kind of Moses' way of saying, God, we want to see your work. We want to see your power in our lives and in the lives of our families. We don't want to live off other people's stories of what God has done for them. No, we want to see in our generation We want to see you work in the stories of our lives. That's what our focus is to be. That's where we find clarity. We want to pass that along to the next generation. So again, the diagnostic question is this, am I living with God's purpose? Am I living in light of, in agreement with God's purpose? 
I think the idea at the end of this psalm is simply the word purpose. When we're allowing God to actively direct the stories of our lives, to actively direct the work of our hands, we experiencing the, we experience the satisfaction of purpose instead of futility. We experience joy, the joy of clarity instead of confusion. That's why we need to get up every morning and pray what Moses prayed. I think one of the best things that we could do is when the alarm clock rings in the morning or when the light comes through the window and we wake up and we sit up on the side of the bed and our feet hit the floor, I think one of the best things we can do is simply to personalize these two verses, to personalize them, to say, Lord, this morning, I want your work to be shown to me as your servants today. Lord, I want your glorious power to be displayed in my family today. Lord, I want your favor, the favor of the Lord, to be upon my life today. Lord, I want you to establish the work of my hands today. Yes, establish the work of my hands. Let my life be filled with your purpose today, and thus with genuine clarity today. Genuine clarity today. So let's go back to the question we started with. Where do you feel confused? Where do you feel confused? Where do you need clarity in your life? Maybe it's in some vocational area. Maybe it's in some spiritual area. Maybe it's in some relational area or financial area. Maybe it's in some, some physical area or academic area. Maybe it's in regard to your future. I want us to just picture that area that I need clarity in in, my, in your mind's eye this morning. And then go back and ask the questions. Go back and ask the questions. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, if you would, with me. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come. And this morning, we want to, uh, we want to just spend just a few moments in some personal kind of quiet meditation and reflection. On the back of the handout that you received when you got here this morning, there's a couple of thoughts there. And I, I invite you to to just with heads bowed, just to reflect on those things this morning and say, Lord, I choose to be a person whose life is charting a course of purpose and clarity by living according to your truth, these truths that we've talked about this morning, to say, God, I choose to be a person who believes that God is great and to live a life that reflects the greatness of God, that lives each day with the recognition that my life is short, and the only day I'm really guaranteed with outside of today is that day that I cross over from time to eternity. Father, I choose to live today in a way that takes my sin seriously, as seriously as you take it, and that builds my life based upon your wisdom, that trusts in your everlasting mercy and is being lived under your purpose. So let's just take a few moments here and just do some quiet personal reflection, just some personal business with God. Thank you again for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. If you have found this content helpful, consider sharing the episode with friends or leave us a rating and review. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. You are loved.